Rich soil and genuine, hard-working people. This is America's Midwest at its finest. And if you like Campbell's Soup and Chipotle, you'll love the family farm we're visiting today. Welcome to Redox Grows, an in-depth look at key issues affecting agriculture. I'm your host, Jim Morris, with Redox Bionutrients. And today we're in St. Anne, Illinois, visiting with Andrew DeGroote, continuing a 70-plus year family farming tradition at DeGroote Farms. Thanks for your time, Andrew. Glad to be here. An hour away is Chicago, population close to 3 million, and we are in St. Anne, population about 1,100, peaceful, productive countryside. So, Andrew, tell me a bit about your family farming history. What do you grow, please? My grandpa started growing flowers and raising hogs, and when my dad and uncle came into the program, they started growing vegetables and corn and beans in the 70s, and we just kept with the vegetable market and got towards the commercial side, wholesale side. We grow potatoes, corn, beans, squash, peppers, and cabbage, mainly for wholesale, retail, processing, and some fresh market. How large is the family farm? We farm about 5,000 acres, 3,500 to 4,000 a grain, 1,000 acres of potatoes, and a couple hundred acres of cabbage, beans, and peppers. Tell me about your weather and your soil profile. I was watching a football game in Chicago, and it seemingly never stopped raining. So is the weather variable? Uh, is it easy to predict? And then also about the soil and some of the positives and negatives you have with that. This year's been a challenge because it's been on the drier side. Normally we get 35 to 40 inches annually, and we are probably at 20 inches of rain this year. So it's made it a little more difficult. June was extremely hot. Normally weather's in the 80s and it was 90 to 100 for five to six weeks, which brought on a drought, brought on stresses. In our little corner of the county, our dirt is light and sandy, not typical Illinois black farmland like everybody thinks, which why we are able to grow potatoes and vegetables. Corn and beans do good, but it just makes it more of a challenge. You need irrigation to produce better yields. We're probably 40% irrigated on all our acres, so that brings another challenge when Mother Nature doesn't rain. Before we get into the crops more specifically, I want to talk with you about the family. So in the late 90s, you and your brothers, Adam and Aaron, did some entrepreneurial things with the items that were grown at the farm. Can you talk a little bit about that? They wanted to start a farmer's market in Kankakee, and since we were one of the vegetable growers in the county, they approached us and asked if we would help. We said, sure, no problem. We did that for... 10 to 12 years finishing school and while I was in high school and my brother's in it and just kind of gave us a little start to dealing with the public and produce and handling things and starting our own little business. How helpful is it when you have that direct interaction with the public? Are you surprised at some of the questions they may want to ask and is it at least interesting to see that some people do want to know more about where their food comes from? It seems that's growing more and more Everybody wants to know where their food comes from. Is it safe? How do you grow it? What do you do? What practices do you do? Chemicals, fertilizer, everything. And when you have conversations and build relationships like that, it becomes genuine and people feel at ease. You know, they trust the people that are growing their food. We're growing it, selling it. We take it home and eat it as well. It's not just 
doing it for profit. We're a long way from Idaho, but you grow potatoes. How common is that in the Midwest and specifically in Illinois, and how well does it work for you? We started in 89 was our first crop. We grew 20 acres. After the drought of 88, my dad and uncle realized that they needed to do something else. Had some friends in Michigan that grew potatoes, and they helped point them in the right direction. And we started growing for Frito then in the 90s with some chips, adding acres every year in business, and then kind of switched markets to the processing side of things with soups and salads in the late 90s, early 2000s, and that's what we've been doing ever since. It works good in our dirt, aside from corn and beans, gives a great rotation. It's been going good. We were in your field, and I was amazed at the size of the potatoes, their health. What do you attribute that to? Weather is a big part of it, like with everything. You know, we live and die by rain, heat, cold. We switched our nutrient program 10 years ago with Redox, and just hitting the timely things, you know, with some calcium nutrition, applications at hooking for set and uniformity, and then late season nutrition to finish that plant to get that yield and that larger potato like we're all after. And what are you seeing in terms of yields? How have they changed since you've adopted the Redox products? With a little tweaking over time, we've been roughly 30 to 35% increase on a farm average. And when Mother Nature helps out right and the weather's perfect, that could be a 50 to 60% increase. How important is that you are always battling things with farming, whether it's international markets, whether it's regulations, higher expenses, certainly. So when you can have a bump in yields like that, how does it help your viability and your return on investment? The biggest thing that has helped us is when Mother Nature throws a curveball, whether it's heat stress, drought, cold stress, or too much water, when you have the right products available to where you can fight that and say make an extra application or two to combat those stresses and help the plant push through, you don't have the big swings like you used to where when the weather's perfect, you grow a bumper crop. The following year, it may be a drought, and it seemed to be either feast or famine. We're kind of leveling that off now with knowing our costs going in, knowing what we need to do, setting a program, and fighting Mother Nature pretty much. We're now at a soybean field, and it's at the senescence stage. And things are looking pretty good, at least from my eye. So how are things looking for your soybeans? And tell me about the redox connection there. Things are looking good. Once again, going back to Mother Nature, the non-irrigated beans are struggling a little bit just because of lack of moisture, especially late when the plant's finishing filling pods and bean size and pod retention for that matter too in the reproductive stage. When it stays dry, the plant just aborts beans to stay alive. And DICAP and Mainstay SI and Supreme have been a big one with adding pods, adding beans, helping with bean size, larger beans, and pushing through those times of heat stress. And your bell peppers are pretty amazing. I couldn't believe when you opened one up the sound that it made and that thick wall that's on that fruit. So tell me a little bit about the bell peppers, how well that program has gone for you. It's been going good. We've been pushing pretty hard the last seven, eight years on it just starting early from getting transplants started in the field with a solid foundation with Rutex, RootRx, Mainstay Calcium, and then pushing Supreme and Mainstay SI when you're 
going to start setting fruit when the flowers are blooming, just building quality fruit for harvestability, shelf life, size. Certain customers require certain size profiles. That has been a big demand we've been able to meet by addressing these nutrient needs in season. Mainstay SI, DICAP, and OxyCom Calcium have been big factors. So you have a big investment. You have challenges each and every year. How comfortable are you in the growing area of bionutrients? Because I look at the Midwest as being a very traditional area. Perhaps there is some reticence. What are your thoughts since you've been at this for 10 years now? Oh, it's helped greatly. I don't think we could be where we are today without it. And just the growth and new customers we've been able to bring to the table because we have a quality product. It takes a lot of the stress away when you can really focus in and you see a problem, a deficiency, apply a product, and you will visually see that within usually seven to 10 days and then move on from there. We've stepped outside the box a little bit, gotten away from the quote unquote co-op mentality of the massive use of commercial fertilizers, just putting physical tons to the ground and hoping for the best. And that's the other thing too, when you apply two or 300 pounds of potash to the dirt, you think, okay, I have my potassium needs met for the year. Well, if it's turned dry like it did, the potassium doesn't move in the plant and the plant can't uptake it, then you'll show deficiency and have to do something to, to correct it and theoretically spend more money in season, which as we know today has been pretty cost inhibitive. You talked about large fertilizer applications of the conventional variety and fertilizer costs have gone through the roof and most likely I think people are saying that they're going to stay high. Is there more of an incentive to try something like Redox, do you think? Oh, for sure. I've been taking a lot of calls, having conversations with guys that are slowly starting to look outside the box just because of the fact that what their program they ran three years ago was 30 to $40 an acre, might be 90 to 100 now, and to see the same results or less results in a dry year especially, it gets pretty depressing and it's pretty hard to pencil out the bottom line. Tell me a little bit about your family. From the, what I've seen so far, different people have different roles and you have different areas, whether it's growing crops or even trucking. So how is that all divided up and how helpful is it? I imagine it's a blessing and sometimes a challenge to be working with family all the time. It's worked out really good. Me and my brothers learned a lot from my dad and my uncle with the partnership that they had. You know, my father dealt with the sales side of things and customers, and my uncle helped with the day-to-day -day operations and the physical growing of the crops and from running irrigation to spraying to harvesting. And that's kind of like what we do now. I help run the day-to-day -day of the farm, manage our nutrient programs, crop rotations, that sort of thing. And my brother deals with sales and bringing new customers to the table. And he also has a logistics company, which helps with the trucking and shipping as we predominantly move within 250 to 300 mile circle of our location. Not a nine to five for you, right? Not exactly. <laughs> how early do you start in the morning and how late can you go? And do you know such thing as hanging out at home on a weekend? During planting and harvest times, it's busier of course, and it's six o'clock start. And depending on what we're harvesting, five, six, if we're in the grain, whenever the elevator closes at the end of the day, or if we have room, we'll go to nine, 10 o'clock at night sometimes trying to beat the weather. We take Sundays off, take time to go to church, spend time with family. 
everybody needs a break. Saturdays, same thing. Planting harvest is busy, but usually I tell the guys quit at five so you can go out with the family, go out to dinner, just relax for the weekend. We generally start working first week of March if the fields are fit to start prepping ground, spreading some fertilizer, taking soil samples. And with the vegetables, we're pretty much nonstop. There might be a little slowdown around the 4th of July before harvest time, but uh, usually go through Thanksgiving, 1st of December with corn harvest wrapping up the final. For farming to work, you need two things. You need results, and I think it's also important for relationships, not just within your family, but those that you work with. So tell me about working with agronomist Eric Massey for the past several years and how that has gone, and the level of service, because ultimately, we need to serve the customers and make sure that they're happy and getting the results that they need. Eric's been great. Whenever I have a problem, need things looked at, he'll make a drive down, we'll walk some fields, look at things. If a need arises that we haven't tackled before, he'll throw some ideas out there from the different things that he's done in his whole career. And if we need products, We'll get on the phone and help us find what we need right away in a timely fashion because like with everything with agriculture, time isn't always on our side. And, you know, the 10-day, two-week turnaround usually doesn't cut it when you're missing out a window or opportunity for an application that can hurt yield, quality, you know, market availability, just everything. Especially in today's day and age with the logistical problems across the country, things are different. Things might take more time and when you know you can make a phone call and make things happen within a day or two versus a week or two, it gives a peace of mind. At the end of the day, when you have success on the farm, and I saw a smile on your face when we were looking at all the different crops and how great they were looking, how does that make you feel? It just shows all the hard work pays off and it isn't for nothing. From a nice potato crop to nice bell peppers to nice corn and beans. From the way we went in June, as dry, hot dry as we were, to see, to be able to harvest crops like this, it makes me feel better. And, you know, all the hard work isn't just for nothing and to hope to try to do it again next year. We're able to do something, produce a yield, fill customer contracts, and keep going. If you had an opportunity to speak with an urban population about what you do and perhaps misconceptions, what might you tell those people? That the biggest thing farmers are trying to do is not only just provide you know, money or means for to support their family, but we want to produce good quality, clean, healthy, nutritious food for everybody else. This is something we take seriously. It's more than just a paycheck for us. It's a lifestyle and really take things to heart and just try to do the best job we can. Yes, there's business involved, but it goes much deeper than that. And I hope as you communicate your story to the urban population, there is a growing understanding that it takes a lot of effort to grow food, and we all benefit when agriculture is healthy. And you're also active on social media. And just a quick question there. That's a different area for farmers, but I do see more growers participating in that. How helpful is it to kind of be part of that dialogue and also get information out that way? You know, it's really helped with, A, meeting new people, making new friends, you're not just limited to your travels. You can meet somebody in Idaho or California and have conversations and then maybe meet someday. You know, there's different things grown all over the country and some of the problems, something new might happen. You hop on there, ask a question, um, meet agronomists from everywhere, and you can learn so much more, so much faster than 
looking it up in an encyclopedia or trying to go, you know, find a university and that right where we've had disease problems. You throw a few pictures on there. Has anybody seen this? Within generally usually an hour, you can get five different answers and have a solution to it faster than you ever would in the past, which has helped things out greatly with weather events and need to make a change to your spray application and whether it's finding product or just the correct product to use, it's helped greatly. And remind me again of your Twitter handle, please. It is at Andrew DeGroot84. And I've learned a lot from that, including something I've never tried before is perhaps the best condiment on a hamburger. So I have a parting gift for you is some A1 sauce. So tell me about the A1 experience on a hamburger. Well, when you cook a steak, it should be good enough. You don't need any sauce and just looking for something besides ketchup or mustard. And that's why I started using this probably 25 years ago when I was younger. That's awesome. Well, in Idaho, we do fry sauce which is a ketchup-mayo combo, and I think there's some spices in there sometime. I'm pretty hooked on that, but I will try the A1 down the road. So thank you so much for your time, Andrew, and we sure wish you luck with the rest of the year. Appreciate it. Thank you. That will wrap up this episode. It was great to speak with Andrew, tour his farm, and hear about all the different markets for his vegetables, including Bob Evans, Chipotle, and Campbell's Soup. I'd also like to thank our agronomist, Eric Massey, for his help. And a shout-out to our great Redox communications team, Sam Christ, Curtis Richens, Curtis Collins, and Mason Harmon. To find out more about DeGroot Vegetable Farms, you can go to DeGrootFarms.com. And at RedoxGrows.com, there are blogs, product information, and so much more. Finally, please help spread the word about our podcast. You can follow the program, like, share, and leave comments. That's all a huge help. Thanks for listening.